morning, Woodland Hills. Why, why, thank you. She said, I look amazing. What do you think about that? Just when you thought I couldn't get any better looking. Yeah, it is funny. Okay, I, I did not join the military this week, I promise. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Uh, there's a little story behind it, though. Uh, see, I've got really curly hair, and um, it was really fun when I was a kid, because you, when afros were in, in the 70s, I could just let it go. I wouldn't have to cut it for a year. It just gets bigger and bigger, but you keep packing it down, and, and it's nice, thick, you know, kind of a bubble head look kind of thing. I could have taken 10 seconds off my mile time, I'm sure, if I wouldn't have that wind resistance all there. I would run like this because the wind resistance. Anyways, it was a huge, huge hair. But then as you get older, it gets a little thinner on top. And uh, then, so you increasingly look like Bozo. It, my hair doesn't grow down, it grows out. It's like, and, uh, and so that means you got to work harder at not having that look. Uh, and I, 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 I don't like to... Going to the barber, it's an interruption. It's like it's, it's, you got to take an hour out, and, and I just don't have time for it. So this tends to get out of control. So yesterday, I was getting ready to come to service and trying to get my time a bad hair day, real bad hair day. And so I, I thought, well, I, I'll just, I've never cut my hair in my life, but I thought, I'll just trim it a little bit here. Oh, no, no, I got to trim it here. Oh, shoot, now I got to do this. No, no, oh, shoot, I didn't look at the back. And, and it, finally, I got frustrated and took out my, my, my beard cutter trimmer. And just start like, just kind of get it down there. Unfortunately, even with that cutter, it was all uneven. So I had, it looked like a battlefield. And I was, I was this, this close to going bald, really. I was just going to, yeah. You, I've always envied you guys. It's no work. I mean, just yeah, razor. You save money. You save time. I, 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 I was really close. A friend talked me off the cliff and, and said, hey, she knows how to cut hair, so she says, let me try to fix it. And so we had to cut it all down to the lowest common denominator. So, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, hey, uh, shout out to Oshida Moore, who did a great job last week. Amen. Uh, right relatedness is way more important than being right. Man, lock that in. Uh, that, was, that was a good message. I was out uh, at a meeting in Washington. Um, most of you know about this movement that's going on. Podrishners know about this movement that's going on. Uh, we became aware of it in 2004. All over the planet, there are people catching a vision of a Jesus-looking God who's raising up a Jesus-looking people to transform the world in a Jesus kind of way. And it's just beautiful. And new wine's being poured out, and they're experimenting with new ways of uh, having wine skin, new ways of doing church. And it's just, it's beautiful. No one's running it. No one's, it, there's no one's figure behind it. It's just a grassroots thing. But we had a, a, a meeting of, of folks who um, are potential, actual or potential leaders in this movement. Uh, some of our churches, like the Meeting House with Bruxy, Akavi. Um, they, we have a, we're kind of a hub of sorts for, for, for parts of this uh, movement. And so we, had, we got together, probably uh, 30, 40 of us, and we're just talking about the next steps in this, in this rising revolution. Uh, how to form this together, how to network it better, how to resource it, and Meeting House is doing some really great stuff, and uh, so, so we're, I'll just say there's, this, there's more stuff coming down the pipe, some really cool stuff, we'll be rolling it out as, as time goes on, but, but keep praying for that. I also then had a, went to another conference, the Missio Conference, and it's, it's part of this tribe, um, and, and I, I also want to say about that is this, I get a little of this every time I go to any conference, but this time I, I had 12 different people tell me in different ways that this ministry saved and transformed their faith. That they would not be believers if it wasn't for the, the teaching of Willow Hills Church. 
Uh, Twelve people. I, I started counting after four because it was just getting weird. Three of them said they only, that's why they went to the conference, was just so they could tell me that. And so I want to report it back to you because this is about all of us here, right? Uh, and, and this is something that we do together. And I, amen, I, I, feel, I feel blessed and so honored and very humbled uh, to, to, to be part of this. Uh, that's making a difference in this world. Uh, so keep us in, 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 in prayer and, and thanks for, for doing your part. It's about all of us doing our part. And the kingdom goes forward. Okay, so we are uh, closing up the series we've been on, the crux of the matter, uh, putting the cross, the crux at the, at the center of everything. That's why we sing a song every, every service. And um, especially it's about how to have uh, loving conversations around difficult topics. How do you keep from getting triggered? Today I want to talk about perspective and um, the importance of perspective. And I'm just going to title this message Zoom for reasons that will become clear here in a moment. Uh, a passage I want to read to start off with is, is from Revelations chapter 12, verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the ground. Hallelujah, word of God. Amen, amen, amen. I was driving through Chicago a number of years ago. Uh, it was late at night coming back from some place, going home. But it was like one in the morning and I was channel surfing and, uh, on an AM station and I came upon this preacher who was preaching on this verse. And this guy, man, I, I would not have believed that this was possible. But he's out there saying, don't you go listening to those liberal astronomers telling you that those are big balls of helium gas out there billions of miles away. My Bible said the devil took a third of those stars and threw them to the ground. That means they can't be that far up there and they can't be that big. It's those liberals making up all this big universe stuff. Dear Jesus, help us. I'm glad it's one in the morning when no one's listening because otherwise it'd be embarrassing. But here's the thing, here's the thing is that, that uh, oh, sir, could you have a seat? No, oh, thanks. Uh, there's a, you know, the, the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book, so you've got to cut a lot of slack for everything. But it's very likely that John was thinking that that, that was literal. Because in the ancient world, they didn't know that stars were, some of those stars out there are entire galaxies with billions of stars. They didn't know that those balls of helium that are huge. They had no idea of that. They were just basing things on appearances, and by appearances, you look up, and there's all these little lights up there. And they, 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 they thought of the, the sky as a hard dome, and these lights are just kind of planted in there. And, and uh, they're about the size of figs. In fact, that's, the, the, that's what this preacher said. Those stars fell to the ground like figs. Uh, and the thing is this. So if you don't know how far something is away from you or how close it is, you don't know how big it is. The closer you are to something, the bigger it appears. The farther you are, uh, the smaller it appears. But if you don't know how far it is, then you don't know how big it is. It's, it's why um, my daughter, uh, when she was uh, four or five years old, we're driving home from church one night. And uh, all of a sudden, she starts freaking out. Uh, she says, Daddy, the moon's chasing us. Why is the moon chasing us? I'm like, What? She goes, look, the moon's chasing us. So I look at my rearview mirror, and sure enough, we were going by this grove of trees. And, and so the trees are moving past us, but the moon's just, you know, keeping up with us. And by golly, it looked like there's a white ball chasing us at night. Uh, my daughter didn't know that that, that, that's, that moon is very, very large, and it's 235,000 miles away. It looks small because it's so far away. If you don't know how far something is, you don't know how big it is. You can create some cool optical illusions. Uh, by taking a zoomed-out perspective and blending it with a zoomed-in perspective, right? So, so check these out. I think these are kind of cool. Look at that good haircut, man. 
So here's, here's Mr. Popsicle Man. Now, we all know that guys are way bigger than popsicles. Uh, but if you didn't know that, you would think that this guy's touching a popsicle, a giant popsicle with a pop, giant hand. Check out this cool bike. Yeah. And, 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 see, it's, uh, you know the Ferris wheel's very large, but it's far away, so it fits right on this tiny little bike thing these guys, guys got. And then here's a couple that should never, ever date. <laughs> if, if they started dating, she'd end up getting crushed. And not just heartbroken. Okay. So, so you, you need to know... Uh, how zoomed in you are and how zoomed out you are, and generally speaking, the more zoomed in you are, in fact, always, the bigger something is, the more zoomed out you are, the smaller something is. Now, this applies not just to physical objects. It applies to our perspectives on everything. Uh, your perspective, how zoomed in you are or how zoomed out you are will determine how important a problem is to you or how unimportant it is, how, how, how huge it feels or how small it feels. How zoomed in you are, how zoomed out you are, will, 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 it, it, it frames how you respond to a situation, how you feel about a situation. Uh, your perspective, your frame of reference is, is everything. Um, and, and it will determine how, how important something is. Is this a, a big matter or a small matter? This is the difference, at least this is what should be the difference between children and adults. Um, as you grow up, you get a bigger frame of reference. And so problems that used to seem really big to you when you were smaller now seem small. When I was like six, we were leaving or moving from uh, Grand Ledge, Michigan. I lived there for four years. And... Uh, the day that we were supposed to move out of our house, in fact, the day that we did move out of our house, my pet chameleon went missing. I loved that chameleon. Uh, I, I, I was really into dinosaurs, and this thing looked like a little dinosaur. And I even called him my little dinosaur. And I just loved that chameleon. It was so cool. And now it's gone. And I scoured the house everywhere frantically and couldn't find it. And then came time where we had to leave. And I had a meltdown of cosmic apocalyptic proportions. <laughs> I, I, it just was, it was the end of the world. It was the end of the world. I remember saying to my dad, we were moving to Ohio. So I said, I, I'm going to hate Ohio all my life. I hate Ohio. Because I loved my chameleon. It's gone. But now, now looking back on it, it just isn't that big of a deal. In fact, the chameleon probably is better off. It was summer. It wasn't going to freeze. Probably better off without me. But, but it's not the end of the world. It's because you have a bigger frame of reference. This is why as you get older, time speeds up. It, it really does. Because it, your frame of reference changes. It's like, like, this year will be 162nd of my life, but for a five-year-old, it's one-fifth of their life, so it feels a whole lot longer than it does when you're 62. And this train just keeps on speeding up. It's a little bit, here's an analogy, it's a little bit like these three soldiers, and I only have soldiers up there because I couldn't find any other ones, but the guy, how many of you think that the guy on the right is taller than the guy on the left? Oh, see, you, you know this one. Okay, they're the same size. But if you didn't know that, you'd, that guy on the right looks far bigger. Why? Because the spaces, uh, the background, takes up more of the, the height of the person on the left, whereas as you get to the right, it, there's more of them there, and so it just gives the appearance of taller. And uh, so also, as the days speed up, you have a bigger frame of reference, and that's why things seem like their time's really speeding up. Anyways, it's all about perspective. Um, this week, I, 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 I often do this when I'm preaching a sermon. I, when I get my topic, I Google stuff. So I Googled zooming in and zooming out and actually found something really interesting. I didn't know what I would find. But um, it, it, there's a, a, an article in the Business Harvard Review on the importance of zooming out when you're uh, a, a leader of a business. 
Um, and it gave this illustration of the CEO of PB Oil. They had this disaster in 2010, a lot of you will recall that. Worst natural disaster I'm told that we've ever had. And uh, this guy was a good CEO, but when this disaster hit, he, he didn't know what to zoom in on and what to zoom out of. And, and unfortunately, he gave in to this human tendency that we have, that when, when, when we're under fire or possibly going to get criticized, we, we tend to zoom in on our rightness. We defend ourselves. And so he became obsessed with just showing that, that this wasn't his fault. It couldn't have been prevented. It was someone else's fault. That's what he was focused on. When he, as a CEO, he should have zoomed out and looked at the big picture and asked, what is necessary here? Because you've got a public relations disaster on your hand. You've got an environmental disaster on your hand. You've got a financial disaster on, on your hand. You've got a human disaster on your hand. And, and that's what should be addressed. But instead, he was fo- zoomed in on himself, and they ended up having to fire him. Uh, knowing when to zoom in and knowing when to zoom out and knowing what to zoom in on and knowing what to zoom out of is very, very important. What I had never noticed before until I was preparing for this message is that you have, you can see in the ministry of Jesus a zooming in and zooming out strategy. And I had never noticed this before. He, he, he always had the right perspective on things. He tended to zoom out of, in fact, he didn't tend to, he always zoomed out of whatever the particular social and political issue was that people brought to him. He zoomed out to get a big picture. But he zoomed out to get a big picture so that he could zoom in on the people who were bringing the question, to be concerned about them. It's an interesting strategy. Uh, for, I'll give you two examples. One is Luke chapter 12. A guy comes to him and he's read. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. In uh, Jewish uh, law in the first century, the firstborn inherited everything. And if any other siblings got anything, it was up to the good graces of the firstborn. Apparently, this guy had a stingy brother because he's not getting anything. So he wants Jesus to use his messianic authority uh, to weigh in on this, uh, either against the law, change that law, or at least talk to my brother and have him share some money. But Jesus said to him, nope. Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? Uh, who appointed me to, uh, to, to, to answer these kind of questions? Who, do I look like your lawyer? Do I look like your lawyer? And uh, see, what he's doing there is he's zooming out a little bit because it's addressing why he came to earth in the first place. Jesus, he, he never forgot what his mission was and what his mission wasn't. And his mission wasn't to come here and answer all of our questions on society and politics and kingdom of the world stuff. Uh, he was here to bring about a totally different kind of a kingdom. And so he zooms out here. But then he, look what, he zooms in and he makes it a personal, he, he, he asks a personal question. So he says, Take care. I'm not here to answer your political, social questions, but I am here to say this. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. This is what Jesus always does. Okay, that issue, not so much, but what I want to know is this. What's the condition of your heart? What's your relationship with God? I want to know about you. I'm I'm concerned about you. That issue, well, take care. You guys worry about that. I'm here to focus on this. He knows when to zoom out. He knows when to zoom in. And then he zooms out, big, big picture, to the whole crowd when he says this. He tells them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. So this guy was already rich. And he thought to himself, hmm, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Oh, I hate when this happens. Such consternation, you know. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll, put, I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and then, there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, marry, time to retire. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, all those nice barns and all that good crop, whose will they be? You're not taking any of it with you. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. So here Jesus is zooming out to show the people, here's what you should be interested in, what you should be concerned about. Look at the big picture here. Um, you didn't create yourselves. You're created by God. And, and uh, there's a guy we're going to have to answer to. And, and the goal of the whole thing is to be rich toward God. And see, if you're rich towards God, you're not going to be hoarding up all your resources for yourself. If you're rich towards God, you're going to be rich in generosity, rich in love, and rich in caring about the poor and others. And, and, and so Jesus here is saying, what the focus ought to be is, what's the relation with God? Life is much more than just a collection of things. Don't be so zoomed in on your best life here and now that you forget the big picture. You forget that this is a small part of the story. Knowing the big picture should condition what we do with our resources and uh, whether we just store up for ourselves or, or, or share some. Yeah, another example is, is uh, in Matthew 22. I won't read it here. But this is where uh, some people came to him and they said, Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? Should we pay taxes or not? And now that's the hottest issue you can ask in first century Palestinian Judaism because you're paying taxes to the Romans and the Romans are the ones who are lording over you and oppressing you. And so some folks said, we, we shouldn't pay any taxes. We should just revolt. Don't pay taxes. Uh, others said, don't pay taxes because if you don't, it's going to be even worse. And then there's a lot of other opinions in between. And the Pharisees ask, bring up this issue because they want Jesus to weigh in on one side or the other. Which of these two alternatives is of God? This one or this one? And Jesus always says, well, wrong options. And, and turns it in, in, in a different direction. He zooms out of the question. So he answers it by saying, um, well, bring me a coin. And they give, give him a coin. And he says, whose image is on this coin? Of course, it's Caesar's image. And Jews were offended by that. They thought it was a violation of the command not to have any graven images. So they regarded this coin as idolatrous. But then Jesus says, well, look, if it's got his coin, and this is Jesus zooming out now, if it's got his image, then it must belong to him. Whatever bears the image of a person belongs to that person. And so Jesus says, hey, if it's got his image, give it all back. Give it all back to him. Which, if, he, if you take that literally, Jesus would be teaching that everyone should give up their money to Rome, but I don't think he's meaning that literally. He's, he, the point he's making here is this. Um, who appointed me to be your economist? <laughs> but I look like an economist. I'm not here to answer that question. For all I care, give it all back to him. But then he zooms out of the issue, but then he zooms in on the people, makes it personal. Because he says, give it all back to Caesar, but, 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 make sure that you're giving to God what bears God's image which is yourselves. Here's the kingdom issue is, what's your relationship with God? Are you giving to God all that bears his image? So he zooms out of issues to zoom in on people. He cares about the, the condition of people's hearts. And, uh, uh, and, and that's a strategy. He never gets triggered because he's zooming out to zoom in on where people are at. Now we're supposed to imitate Jesus in everything. And so what I'd like to do is to just kind of uh, ask the question, how can we cultivate the wisdom of knowing when to zoom in and when to zoom out in order that we don't get triggered uh, you know, here's what we're up against. Uh, two weeks ago, I shared this from a scientific perspective. Uh, but the, what we're up against is our fallen nature. And when there is a debate, uh, when we're in a, in a debate about something that's important to us, we can easily get triggered. And when we get triggered, we zero in on our rightness. Just like the, the, the CEO of, of BP Oil. He, he, he was triggered. He was in trouble. So he zeroes in on defending himself. And proving himself right, and that's what we tend to do. 
And see, if, we're, if we zero in on our own rightness in the middle of a debate, we can't possibly be doing the debate or doing the discussion in a loving way and being concerned about the other per person. What are you zoomed in and what are you zoomed out of is an extremely important question. We love our, in this fallen nature, and you could give an evolutionary explanation for this and a neuroscientific explanation for this, but the bottom line is our fallen nature loves to be right. It's idol number one. We get our identity and our, 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 our life from the rightness of our views on things. And so we zoom in on them whenever there's any challenge to the rightness of our views. If we're going to actually live in love as Christ loved us, even when we're having difficult conversations, we're going to have to reprogram our trigger. I mentioned this two weeks ago. When you're triggered, like uh, there's a little bit of a, Ooh, they just said you're wrong, called you stupid, whatever. You have a nanosecond to make a decision here. Are you going to give in to that trigger and get angry and activate your fight or flight reflex, or are you going to zoom out and handle this in a Jesus kind of way? You have a decision to make. We're so used to giving into the trigger that many people think it's impossible to, get, to not give into the trigger. It's, but you do have a decision. It's, a, it's easier to give into it because that's what we've always done, but you can choose otherwise. So what I want to do here is look at four strategies. And for reprogramming our trigger, four strategies for zooming out and why we need to do it, all right? Okay, number one strategy. Zoom out to remember your identity and calling. See, if you get triggered and now you're zoomed in on your rightness and you want to prove that you're right, you're not going to be remembering that, that you're created by God and loved by God and you're an, an ambassador of Jesus Christ and all the right. Your Christian identity goes out the window the minute your amygdala gets activated and you get that fight or flight reflex. God's not in the picture anymore. But you can program your trigger. When you start to get triggered, you zoom out in order to just remember who you are. Uh, you are a child of God who's called to get all your life and worth and significance and security from your relationship with Jesus, from what God thinks about you as revealed on Calvary. Get all your life from Jesus, and that means you don't get your life from being right. You're a child of God who doesn't need to prove yourself on every point. You're a child of God who's okay just being. And you're called to represent. Remember this, you're called to represent uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in every conversation you have, at all times and all places. You are called to manifest the love of God towards whoever it is that you're talking about. Which means, whoever you're talking to and whatever you're talking about, how you talk is more important than what you talk. How you debate is more important than what you debate. Uh, whatever debate's going on, there's one thing that's more important than that debate, and that is that you manifest to this person the character of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and you communicate to them uh, their, their unsurpassable worth, and you care about them. You zoom in on them, but you can't zoom on them unless you're zooming out of the, 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 the issue at hand and to remember who you are and what you're called to be. Hallelujah. Number two, zoom out to put the debate in perspective. Here's the thing. Once you, get act, once you get triggered and you're zooming in on your rightness, that conversation is going to feel incredibly, incredibly important. Like the world depends on you being able to convince this person that you're right. And the reason it feels so important is because you're zoomed in. Anything you zoom in on is going to look large. This looks pretty small. Man, it's huge! So we're, we're, we're supposed to hold our rightness. It's okay to believe you're right because... If you believe something, it's because you believe it's right. So by definition, whatever you believe, you think you're right. That's fine. But hold it out here. Because you don't get your life from this. You get your life from Jesus Christ. But see, if you get triggered, boom. 
And now this is so important to convince them. It's not that's really important, but what's important, what's really important is that you be right. That's, what's, that's what you're really feeling, but it feels like it's about something else. The world hangs on this. So last week when I was traveling in airports, I was in this cafe. These two guys were watching television. I think they were related. It seemed like it, but I'm not sure. But I was sitting next to them, so I heard what they were talking about. And they were watching CNN. And I'm now of the persuasion that in this climate, they shouldn't show CNN or MSNBC or Fox in any public place. <laughs> it could get dangerous. Riot. Anyways, these two guys are arguing like the, end, that like, uh, the future of America depended on their position. Well, look, guy number one, he, he was just adamant that, that, that what needs to happen is that Mueller report needs to get released and without any redactions. Everyone has a right as Americans to see that report. And we need to have more of the investigations on Trump because he's for sure a crook. And maybe you can't prove collusion, but you can't obstruction. And so we need to bring him down. He needs to get impeached and we need to restore sanity to America. The future of America depends on it. The other guy's saying, oh, no, you got it all wrong. What needs to happen is those Democrats need to get over the fact that they lost the election. Boo-hoo-hoo. Stop holding the grudge. Let the president run the country and make America great again. <laughs> and both of them, you can think that the future of the country depends on this. If you could zoom out, like I have a zoomed out perspective here. If you zoom out, you'll notice that the, this doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Nothing hangs in the balance. The issue maybe can be important. But their opinions aren't. This debate is, do you think, do you think that Trump cares what these two think? Or, or Congress, or, or the Senate, or Democrats, or Republicans, or anybody? No one gives a rip what these two people think. But they're acting like everything depends on them. What they're really reacting to is the importance of their being right. But it feels like the rightness is about the country. Everything's going to be destroyed. Zoom out to put the, the thing in, 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 in perspective. To see that this is not, the only thing that can be affected by this conversation, and this is true for most of our conversations, the only thing that can be affected, we think it changes the world, but it doesn't. What it does change, for the better or for the worse, is our relationship to the person that we're talking to. And see, if we get triggered and zoom in on our rightness, and so it feels like the end of the world is going to happen if this person doesn't agree with you, that could very likely harm the relationship. But if you're able to zoom in on the person and zoom out of the particular debate, and show God's love for this person and treat them with respect and stay calm even if they get activated, you might actually help the relationship. And folks, as kingdom people, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation, which means in all of our discussions and all of our relationships, we want to be moving closer to people, not farther from people. So once again, how you debate the issue is more important than what particular thing you debate. Zoom out and realize that the, the, not, the end of the world isn't going to happen if, if you get proven wrong or, or if this person doesn't end up agreeing with you. Then number three, zoom out to dis, surrender the discussion to God. Here's the thing. When, when you're zoomed in on your rightness, God is out of the picture. Uh, when you're zoomed in on your rightness, you are trying to control. Examine yourself. Last we had a hot debate. You're trying to control the conversation. Uh, to steer it to lead to a particular conclusion, and the conclusion is that you're right. By the way, I love you Jehovah Witnesses, but they are really good at this because they train it all the time. They know how to control conversations. So if you invite them in the door, you've got to lay down some ground rules. Like, I'll let you talk uninterrupted for 20 minutes, and then you let me talk 20 minutes uninterrupted, and then we say bye. Uh, okay, so anyways, that was for free. That was for free. No, see, you're trying to control it. Uh, 
God's not in the picture, but if you zoom out and get all your life from Christ and remember your identity and remember your calling, you're able to release that, that need to prove yourself right, and you're able to release that need to control the conversation. You're able, it creates space for you to surrender this to God, because folks, we're supposed to surrender everything to God. I love spring, but it's hot in here. <laughs> and my sweat's burning my eyes. Uh, but I'm not going to complain, because we just got done with the winter, and, and so we should be thanking God. Thank God we got weather that we can sweat in. All right. So, that was a little ADD moment. Uh, increases, we're supposed to surrender everything to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all the time. And so, we need to offer this up to God. Invite God in on this conversation, which guaranteed you will not do if you get triggered and now are concerned with just the rightness of your position. Invite God in on a situation. Sometimes, if you can stay present enough, to remember who you are, what your calling is, where you get your life from, and therefore zoom out this, this, converse, this particular debate in order to zoom in on the person, sometimes it creates space where you can actually hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's omniscient, right? And so she might just have an opinion about this conversation. She might have something she wants to say uh, uh, that will help this conversation move you two together. And if you're wondering why I referred to her as she, uh, it's a, go listen to a message five months ago called Where's Mommy? All right. So, so I, I, I was... Uh, in this one class, when I was at, at, at Bethel, oh, way a long time ago, when I was there full time, uh, I, I, there's a young lady in this one theology class who was really bright and sharp, uh, but a diehard Calvinist. And I'm not, surprise. And so we were having some, this one class I taught on Providence and kind of gave my open view of Providence, and she just kind of went ballistic on me. Uh, you know, God controls every single detail. And she wouldn't give up this conversation. She had the need to try to convince me uh, that God, every detail of everything that happens is, is all what God wills. So at the end of the class, she still wanted to debate. And, and she followed me back to my office and we're still debating. We get in my office and she's still debating. Then at one point, I sit down in my chair and I was letting her talk. But something in my spirit just said, because I'm not triggered. I'm, I don't feel threatened by her. So I, I'm calm and I'm open. And I all of a sudden get an impression Two words, three and rape. Now, I, I, this could be just a brain burp. Uh, it could be nothing, but it could be something. And I've learned to pay attention to these things. But I'm not going to try to guess what this means. Don't, no, no, just let it be what it is. I, I rather I'm just kind of, as she's talking, I'm holding these things here. And I'm looking for an opportunity to somehow weave it into our discussion. And so at one point I just asked her, I said, so are you telling me do you really mean to say that, let's say, for example, you got raped three days ago, that that was God's will, that God ordained that? And the minute I said that, she was in front of my door like this. She falls back against the door, and she's staring at me. And she just says in a quivering, like breathless voice, how did you know? And then her eyes turn into waterfalls. And it turns out that she had three days prior to this, this was a Friday, and it was three days prior, she had been date raped by a, a guy who was a muckety-muck on campus, and so she didn't feel like she could bring charges against him. She thought she had to stay silent because no one would believe her. So we're having this conversation. No one in the world knows about this other than her and that guy, and I call us out. The Holy Spirit had something to say about this. Bam! That's zooming in. And see, far more important than whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian is taking care of this profound wound that's in this heart. And, and that opened the door for us to begin to walk through this and, and, and bring, yes, healing and restoration to her. Amen. 
Stay open. Stay open. Don't, don't get zoomed in on the particular debate that you lose your awareness that God might have something to say. Invite God into the situation. And then finally, number four, zoom out to zoom in. Now, this has been the, the assumption of the whole thing, but I wanted to speak more specifically about this. The reason why we zoom out is precisely to create space for us to be able to zoom in on the person and uh, create space for us to be able to hear from God and invite God in on this conversation. Uh, to zoom out, it, it, zooming out of a conversation doesn't mean that you stop talking. Uh, it doesn't mean that you give up thinking that you're right, because of course you think you're right. Uh, it, it, it doesn't even mean that the topic you're talking about is, is unimportant. It could on some level be very important, but the topic may be important. I don't think the discussion usually is, but, but it just means that you, you, you hold it at bay. You zoom out enough so that, yeah, you believe you're right, but you don't get life from it. It's, you zoom out to, to create enough space between you and, and the topic. So you zoom in on the person. And you do that by asking questions. Um, exploring uh, what they think about things. Be wondering about, be curious about like what motivates them or, or what need is this belief meeting or what's driving this person or uh, why, why is this so important to them. Be curious about them as individuals. Uh, it means that, that you listen to them. You, you really listen to them. Now, what we usually call listening isn't, it often is, at least, is not really listening. It's just, you, you give the person a chance to talk because it's socially inappropriate not to. <laughs> right? So it, it, it's, you don't have a bladder on, so you let them talk. But while they're talking, if you're zeroed in on your rightness, you know what you're doing while they're talking. You're not listening. You're, 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 you're collecting ammunition. <laughs> you're listening to, to, to grab on it. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got to store that one. I got to remember that. Okay. Oh, I can score a point over here. You're collecting ammunition, which means you're just picking, cherry picking things uh, to your own advantage. You're not really entering into their perspective on things. And at some level they know that, but they're probably doing the same thing to you if they're zeroed in on their rightness. To listen means you really listen. Uh, try to enter in, see it from their perspective. Even repeat back to them what they just said. Can you, can you express their perspective as good as they can? Because until you can do that, you haven't really heard them. And see, you're showing the worth of the person by all the attention you're giving them. The fact, you're saying you're worth listening to. And if a person has unsurpassable worth, they are worth listening to. Even if what they're saying is worthless, they are worth listening to. You're communicating to them their unsurpassable worth. But you can only do that if you're not zeroed in on your rightness. You've got to zoom out, get your life from Christ. And uh, uh, that frees you to be able to actually care about the person that you're talking to. And however important the, the topic may be, this is more important. For a kingdom person, in every conversation, there's something more important than the conversation. And that is being an ambassador of Jesus, reflecting the love of God and the worth of the other person by how we have the conversation. And let me say one more thing, and that is this. If you're going to zoom in on people, you've got to let go of labels. Wow. You've got to let go of labels. Uh, I read a book this last week by a, a friend of mine named David Fitch. Uh, it's not released yet, but you can get it on Amazon, pre-order it. It's a book, it's called The Church of Us Versus Them. And it is a really hard-hitting, prophetic, profound book. I encourage you to read this. It's, okay, so what he shows is, and he just demonstrates it so, so well, that the world runs on polarities. Fallen culture, it, it just polarizes people. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but, but, but it's, it, it, the structure of fallen culture is on these ideological polarities. 
Um, and, and, and where people are divided along polarities, you find slogans and sayings and labels. And those slogans and sayings and labels are there to rally the troops. And do, they're, 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 he calls them group signifiers. Uh, they determine who's in and who's out. Are you one of us or are you one of them? Uh, their slogans are on which people gather to say, we are this and they are that. And this, whatever else it is, it's, it's right. We are right and superior and they are wrong and inferior. And so it feeds our, 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 our sense of rightness, which we love most of all. Groups that have the same rightness get together to intensify the rightness. And it shows that the church is supposed to be free of that. Uh, all over the place we read it, Paul says, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor, nor, nor free. In Christ, in Christ, there's only people. Hallelujah. And the labels leave. All the, all the labels and slogans and policy statements or whatever that the world invests so much in, we're to invest nothing in. Because our job is to see people and to love people. And, and people can't be slotted into categories. You know the rallying cries. You know, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-marriage, traditional marriage. Well, I'm pro-equal marriage. This is change you can believe in. Let's make America great again. All these little things that just act. And as I say that, I bet some of you, some of you were like, yeah. Others were like, that, That's what they're designed to do. That's what they're designed to do. They're de See, and the, the, the sad thing is that though we are supposed to be the, the, the alternative society, the alternative community that is really free from labels because we just love people as they are, uh, though that's how we're supposed to be, the church he shows in America has invited all of that pollution, all of those polarities into the church. And we've become a church of us versus them. Except that in the church, it's worse because we bring God in the picture. And whenever you bring God in the picture, you just up the ante a whole lot. So we've got God-rightness on our side as well. It divides the church and it undermines our witness to the world and it's just ruining everything. Uh, folks, we are to be a people who zoom out, get our life from Christ, remember our identity. And when you zoom out, in order to zoom in, you realize that people are not labels. People are not categories. People are not slogans. People are not sayings. People are people. And, and they're made in the image of God and they've got unsurpassable worth. And they need to be re reflected as that. But to do that, we've got to treat them as people, not as one of those or in this category or you belong to this. You know, love, love, love's always particular. You can't love humanity in general. Don't be in a foggy, vague sense. But you no, know, Christ-like love is always particular. That's why Jesus became incarnate. He became a particular person, ministering to particular people. And so in a conversation, it's, the goal is to love this person, but that means you've got to, you've got to love them in their particularity, in their uniqueness. And one thing labels never do is capture the uniqueness of a person. It doesn't come close. You tell me you're gay. Okay. Um, I know one thing about you, uh, but I don't know anything else about you. And I'm sure that's not the most important thing about you. Uh, I'm straight, but I'll tell you, my straightness isn't the most important thing to me. And frankly, that's the least thing I care to know about. Tell me about you. <laughs> See, I'm straight. So, so it's 98% of the population, so that doesn't really tell you much about me, right? Uh, I'm uh, uh, European descent. Well, that, that's true for, you know, about a third of the population. That doesn't tell you much about me. I'm an INTP, huh? Well, that means I'm a little bit weird. Uh, only 5% of people are that. But still, there's about 35 million who are. You haven't got close to the, the actual me by trying to put me in those labels. And no amount of labels could ever get to the particular person. A person's infinitely complex, got a wealth of life experience and memories and hopes and aspirations, and all that just gets swept aside as irrelevant when you say you're one of those people. 
And then all the negativity you might have about the category now gets applied to the individual. And you don't know a thing about the individual. You don't know a thing about them, but you know, it's one thing they belong in this category, and therefore you come into this conversation with suspicion, uh, wondering, yeah, you know what you need to prove, and you're not loving the person. To love a person is to love them in their particularity. Labels cause us to zoom out from people when we need to be zooming in for people. They get in the way of the, the actual interaction. We've got to get rid of the labels. Yeah. Sometimes labels, in fact, they often harm people, and they can't even kill people. I, I, I really 90s, I was teaching at Open Door, and um, two ladies in this class uh, on a Wednesday night, apologetics class, came up and they wanted me to uh, counsel them. Uh, they were a couple, and they wanted me to, they were, had some issues. And so they said, would you, would you talk with us just like an hour after class? Can you just go out to a restaurant? And, and, and they liked me. So I said, sure, I, I'll do that. Now, um, within about 10 minutes of our first meeting, I mean, these two women were some of the most broken people I've ever met in my life. Uh, they had a past that was just terrible. They had met in a psych ward. Um, having both attempted suicide. And it became clear to me within about 20 minutes of our first meeting that um, the only thing that was keeping this one, at least, at least one of them, it may have been true for both of them, but the only thing that was keeping one of them alive for sure, because she said it, she wanted so bad to end her miserable life. And if you knew what she'd been through, you'd understand that. But the only positive thing she ever had going for her was this other woman. And that's why she was staying alive, the love of this other woman. And, and, and so... It became really clear to me that, that if we're ever going to talk about their relationship, it'll be way far down the road after we've addressed these 4,000 other things that are so broken, they're life-threatening. You see, only if you get on the inside, you have some kind of perspective. You zoom in so you can know what is what. People's lives are very complex, and sometimes they're held together very tenuously. And so you have to treat them with great respect and very, very carefully, because they could break, they could die. You get some Christian who just knows the answer to everything. And he knows what God thinks about those people in that category and this thing and this slogan, whatever. Mr. Know-it-all, you represent God, all right? You got God's opinion and everything. So you're going to lead with that. Okay, first thing, gals, you got to split up because this isn't right. God doesn't like that. Well, you just killed one of them. And then whatever you think God thinks about the relationship, I can guarantee you he hates suicide more, all right? So you got to love the people. And so we were able to make some progress and some healing came about. You see, you, you can't, you, we're, to the degree that we're blinded by the labels of the world, we are bulls in china shops. We break people. Because people are not categories. And you treat them like categories, and you can break them and you can kill them. We need to learn from Jesus the wisdom of zooming out of the particular, get some distance to the particular debate in order to zoom in on the people. How's your heart? Who are you? Uh, what's interesting about you? What motivates you? What drives you? How can I bless you? How can I help you? Those are kingdom questions that we need to be asking. Hallelujah. I'm going to lead us in an exercise right now. It's going to take one minute. Uh, and when I'm done, I'd like the prayer teams to come up here uh, and uh, uh, just be by the stairs. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here and, and get that, whether it's about this issue or not. But we think it's always good to reinforce a spiritual commitment with a physical action. And so we'd like you just right now to think of one thing that you are sure you're right about, um, but that maybe is hard for you to surrender to God. It's okay for you to feel like you're right, but what's the thing that you're doing this to? 
Where are you most inclined to like, I'm right. Where are you most inclined to get triggered? Write that down in this thing. And then when you leave, we got some boxes at the doors. And just as an as a external expression of what you're doing in your heart, just put that in that box with a cross on top. Give it over to God. Surrender it over to God. And so I just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. What is the thing? Or ask your spouse. That's a good one. What's the hard thing for you to be wrong about? And write it down and then leave. Father, guide us in this. Open our eyes uh, to the areas in which we maybe have had an idolatrous relationship with rightness. Free us from the need to be right. And free us to be a people who love outrageously. Love individuals who see past labels. Love people as they are in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.